Don Bacardi was just 18 years old when he started dating Christopher Isherwood. Chris was 48, and despite that age difference, the two of them were together for over 30 years. They were known as the gay royal couple of their time. Now, Chris was already a famous author by the time they met. He's best known today for writing A Single Man, a book which I am terribly fond of. He also wrote The Berlin Stories, which became the musical cabaret. And Don has gone on to become one of the most respected portrait artists in the world. He's painted everyone from Betty Davis and Fred Astaire to Brad Pitt and a pregnant Angelina Jolie. He's also painted non-famous people like Jeffrey Masters? I think y'all might have heard of him. After we originally spoke, I went back and sat for Don a few different times and he goes into this kind of trance when he paints where his tongue dislodges from his mouth. And all this happens with a massive portrait of Christopher Isherwood looking on from behind him. So today on LGBT Q&A, we talk about the 33 years that Don spent with Christopher Isherwood, his own remarkable career, and what it was like being an out gay couple in an open relationship in the 50s and 60s. So without further ado, let's hear it. So you started dating Chris when you were 18. You were 18, he was 48, 30 years older, and what I find so fascinating, besides the age difference, is that you were an out gay couple in the 50s. Yes. Look, there was no way we could hide it. There was such an age difference, and everybody knew he wasn't my father. Everybody knew he was queer, so I had to be that but I think unspeakable teenage boyfriend. <laughs> but I think it would have been very easy for him to have hidden your relationship. Oh, uh, so many queer men did at that time, especially if they had any, whether they were in jobs where their reputation uh, depended on secrecy or not. They were secretive. Who else was out and queer at that time? Oh, there were a lot of people, and you think about it. I guess uh, Gorilla was certainly oh, sure. out and queer. He didn't hide it, did he? For the people that were not publicly out, were, was there people that were privately open about it? Like, uh, for example, like I wonder if Rock Hudson was, it was an open secret in Hollywood that he was gay. Yes. It was. Yes. It was. And oddly enough, we only met him once at a party. He was big and handsome and friendly, but he was, uh, he really hardly wanted to open his mouth. And since we, there was no question of being exposed by us, we just wanted to be friendly. And uh, 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 we knew a lot of people who knew him, who told us he was so nice. But, oh boy, was there a, a big fence put up immediately at a party. <laughs> Admittedly, it was very star-studded. He was in the closet at that point, yeah. Uh, I guess so, except everybody knew, so why? Why, why not be friendly, at least at a party? You were around some of the most famous celebrities of the time. Yes. During those years. Yes, I've led an enchanted life. You were a teenager. Did you feel like you fit in to those circles? Well, if I felt I didn't fit in, I tried to get myself into uh, the right fit. 
in order to fit in. Yeah, I, I was not only 18, but uh, um, I looked years younger. And that same first year we were together, Chris and I went to New York, uh, my very first trip to New York, my very first time on an airplane. Imagine in 1953, I hadn't been on an airplane yet. It was a very exciting year for me. But as soon as we arrived in New York, we were told by uh, so many people that a rumor, a serious rumor had gone around town that Christopher had brought a 12-year-old with him from California just because I, I looked much younger. Well, well, back then, that, that makes me think about all of the misconceptions back then of gay people, how it was a mental illness. It still was classified uh, oh, as. Indeed, yes. And um, a lot of the big misconceptions was that all homosexuals were pedophiles. Because you looked so young, it played into that. Was oh, that ever sure. was mean, that a concern? I they were happy to uh, rush uh, to believe it. Because, uh, yes, I suppose it was the stereotype. Did, did you and Chris ever care about the optics of the relationship? We knew uh, we weren't like other couples. We couldn't be. There was uh, an obvious uh, uh, big age difference between us. Chris was determined to take me with him wherever he went. So, so did his fame protect you from discrimination? You know, he wasn't so famous in, in Hollywood. Uh, Hollywood isn't known for its uh, number of residents who read books. <laughs> it's a city that's uh, used to fame, meaning worldwide fame. No, very few Angelinos has heard of Chris then. Had you heard of him? Yes, uh, because I'd met him through my brother, who was four years older than, and uh, I used to go to the Queer Beach right here in Santa Monica with my brother Ted, and Chris was one of the first people I met there. And, and your brother was queer too? Uh, very queer, yes. Oh, very queer. <laughs> yes. I followed him in every respect. A famous, uh, sought-after beauty. In fact, Chris had had an affair with him before me. No, I wouldn't call it an affair, they, uh, but they had her nights together, maybe three of them. So what did your brother say that you ended up with Chris? I think he was uh, surprised and a little put out. And why? Why begrudge me having an affair with uh, a man he slept with? Being a great beauty, he had bows and bows. He once uh, said to me when he was mad at me, Everybody knows you live with an old man, and I think it's disgusting. And <laughs> that gives you an idea to get that one's own queer brother. <laughs> wow. You know, you know, you we were talking. We mentioned that um, that homosexuality was considered a mental illness, and you guys have a fascinating connection to Evelyn Hooker. Oh, actually, she was a very good friend. Chris was living in her garden when I uh, got to know him. Right, and her work and research led to homosexuality being declassified as a mental illness. But um, she, you guys were living in her guest house and she kicked you out. 
Yes, uh, kicked us out because her husband, Edward, they were both teachers at UCLA, and Edward worried that the UCLA bigwigs would find out that uh, he and Evelyn had two queers living in the garden, and it would embarrass them. And had her research come out at that point? Oh, yes, she was, uh, uh, that was her subject, and certainly papers published. And and so all that had happened occurred already. Yes. What was she to do when she had a disapproving, frightened husband? It's just fascinating that this woman that improved the lives of queer people everywhere also was facing these things in her own home. In her own garden, yes. (laughs) Queers in the garden, and and a husband who disapproved. I think the big question that I have is that you met him as a teenager. These are the most formative years of your life. You don't know who you are yet, I assume. And he's a famous writer and there's this massive massive age difference. And all these things on paper make it seem that the relationship should not have worked. And yet it did. And you were together for 30 years. So 33. 33. So I like I wonder like what was it that that made it work. We were both extraordinary people. There's no other answer. Though I would have uh, hesitated to call myself extraordinary at 18, and for many years I would never have used uh, such a word to describe myself. But looking back on those early years with Chris, I was extraordinary. And uh, the better I knew him, the, the more extraordinary I became, because he was the best mentor in the world for me. He was just Mr. Magic in every way possible. It was so uh, such a, a dramatic connection that we both felt we must have been fated to me. And was that instantaneous? No, but uh, uh, over the years, the longer it lasted, the closer we got. Yes, we realized how extraordinarily uh, lucky we were. As it was unfolding, were you surprised how long it was lasting? I uh, said in, in those first months with Chris, I made it clear I was in for the long run. I wasn't going anywhere. As long as he wanted me around, I'd be there. And Chris took it lightly, thinking uh, how charming of him to tell me something like that. But, (laughs) of course, he's very young. But uh, I meant it, and I proved it. I stayed. You also had an incredibly modern relationship, and the fact that you back then were also non-monogamous. Yes, we were both uh, extraordinary, and the more time I spent with him, I'm a, a kind of chameleon personality. I take on the colors and sounds of people I'm around for long enough, and uh, within just a few months, uh, people who had known me before uh, I met Chris were remarking on how affected I'd become because uh, I was speaking with a British accent. Like Chris. I couldn't hear it, and I was horrified. And I thought, my God, well, uh, I thought I must uh, stop it. 
But how could I get rid of it? I couldn't hear it myself, except when I heard my voice recorded for the first time. I looked at Chris and I said, that doesn't sound like me, does it? He said, yes, it does. The voice, I thought, this could not be the way I sounded, because I could hear the British accent too in the recording. And that uh, meant that I must be the most affected creature imaginable. And so you were picking up his voice and mannerisms. Yes. It's part of a very basic part uh, of my, uh, what makes me an artist, uh, a portrait artist. I instinctively identify with people, and not only that, but um, just looking at them and listening to them, I'm, I'm a, a natural mimic. At that time, did that not freak you out? Oh, yes. Incredibly freaky, and uh, I was ashamed and horrified, and I knew it uh, sounded uh, affected. But what could I do? I couldn't hear it myself, and I didn't want to leave Chris. Just because uh, I was mimicking him to my own <laughs> horror. And then finally I realized I couldn't do anything about it. So I just started relaxing towards it. Okay, if that's what it takes, then uh, uh, that's what I'll give it. Oh, wow. I would, I, would have, I would have a freak out and be like, but who am I? <laughs> I did. I did freak out. And uh, as I said, everybody would know me. Uh, me beforehand, including my own brother, who's had an affair with uh, Chris before me, made fun of me. Wow. You know, I mentioned that you guys were not monogamous. Did you know other couples that had relationships with other people as well? You mean queer people? Yeah. Oh, we Yes, we knew a few. It was unusual at the time. It wasn't the norm. And those uh, queer couples who did live openly didn't talk about it. And I ask because I think it's pretty radical that you were open about it. Well, Chris was a famous man. I mean, not famous like a movie star, but uh, as a literary personality, yes. And everybody who'd heard of him knew that uh, he was queer. Are, Are you saying that back then queer and open relationships went more hand in hand? No, oh. uh, no. Uh, in fact, we were considered revolutionary oh, okay. in, our, in our public fronting uh, uh, of it. You know, Chris is such a major part of your story, obviously. Your obituary will mention the name Christopher Isherwood, and yet you've also had other significant relationships. You dated someone else for 10 years after Chris, and I just wonder if you think that those are not as honored? Well, uh, from my point of view, it really doesn't uh, matter. I mean, um, Tim Hilton, who I lived with uh, for uh, 10 years in this very house, uh, was still very, very close friends. He lives in Oregon and has, uh, he was born there, always lived there, with the exception of the 10 years uh, he lived down here in this house, but we still talk every day, several times a day. He's coming to stay with me again next week. We're very close friends. Yes, I'd say he's my closest friend still. 
If the public doesn't know about it, I'm sorry for them. They're missing something of interest, okay. but it doesn't matter yeah. to me personally, you know. And I know it doesn't matter to Tim. Well, well, tell me this. With Tim, you are 26 years older than him. What was that like to see a relationship from Chris's perspective as the older Perfect. one? Imagine a flip-flop. I got an opportunity to be the uh, old man with a, a young boyfriend. And I was forever saying to me in those early years, saying to myself, as I'm talking to Chris, oh, that's what you were feeling like. Oh, that's a situation. Or when you, we met somebody or other and oh, all those years. That's what was going on. That I hadn't really understood at the time how Chris was feeling about going around with a, uh, a young man uh, so much younger than he was. And that was just such good fortune for me to be able to play the reverse. After uh, uh, more than 30 years with Chris, uh, I had 30 years with uh, Tim. Boy, that was super good. Uh, And so it caused you to rethink, it seems like, your relationship with Chris. Delve into it uh, all the more deeply because uh, I was then learning how Chris had felt in so many early situations with me. You know, you were dating Chris during the early days of the AIDS epidemic. Since you were sleeping with other people, did you worry about AIDS? Worried, uh, yes. And and, uh, I did uh, uh, sleep with other people. Oh, it could so easily, if I'd had bad luck, I could so easily have brought it home and giving it uh, uh, to Chris, God, how dangerous it was. But I I, I wasn't reckless, uh, except going to bed with any other man at that time uh, was reckless. A lot of queer young men were terrified to do it, uh, but did it, and some were lucky and others not. And you were. I'm happy to be one of the lucky ones. Did you and Chris discuss it, AIDS? Oh, of course, yes. I mean, uh, how could we not? I guess that's unavoidable, right? Yes, and uh, I know it worried Chris for me, and certainly he was aware of the possibility I might bring it home to him, but we took that chance. You know, sex was an important part of your life. Uh, has that changed as you've gotten older? Well, uh I'm 83, nearly 84. 80 was a a real um, signature age, signal age, whatever. And I was still going. Well, I I never know now. I was very worried uh, living all those years with Chris and then an equal amount of years with Tim. I left home originally to live with Chris. So... I'd never lived alone, really, for more than maybe a month or two, and not many of those experiences. So I wasn't sure I could be, I could stand living uh, alone, but happily I find I'm um, perfectly okay with it. So how old were you when you finally lived alone for an extended amount of time? 53. Wow. I've had, you know, um, uh, 
experiences of living alone uh, for a month or two in New York, then again in London before Chris and I could be together regularly. So, And are are you dating anyone now? Let's see. I, I wouldn't quite call it dating, but <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. Yes. And I, I still uh, see Tim. And uh, when I go up to Oregon, we sleep together, he and me and uh, his little dog, quite happily. That's very nice. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, just before we move off, Chris, you drew Chris during the last months of his life. And uh, after he was dead, I did 11 drawings of his corpse. At the moment of death, after he died? Yes. And so was that drawing him right after he died, those 11 drawings, was that a conscious decision you made, or was that just purely instinctual? Drawing a a dead lover uh, I'd lived with for more than 30 years. Yeah. Uh, It sounds kind of creepy to me. Uh, it was, uh, there was no question in my mind. Let's see, uh, in the last six months of his life, I gave up all my other sittings. I didn't work with anybody but Chris. And in those six months, I did something like 447 or 48 drawings of Chris. Do you, do you still paint him? Oh, I can't. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> the only time I've drawn anybody not from life was when uh, uh, I drew Chris's corpse. And as I said, I did 11 drawings. Oh, but even though he, he was in the room, though, for those, his corpse. Uh, uh, how could I draw his corpse without him being in the room? So you only draw things if you're in the room. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I'm a one-on-one artist. Uh, every portrait of mine since I met Chris has been done from a living sitter. Well, I imagine you have to deal with a lot of different egos. We're not used to seeing pictures of ourselves, um, like drawn. Oh, that's the uh, story of my life as a portrait artist. People... When they first uh, see themselves drawn by me, often uh, react, do I really look like that to you? Because uh, I'm not copying uh, movie magazine pictures of actors. I'm copying what uh, living people look like. And, and is that question, that do I really look like that, is that a Positive or negative thing? Are they uh, are they happy oh, or they sad? Uh, they meant it negatively because uh, they saw it was unmistakably them, but they'd never seen themselves with uh, all the frankness of age, uh, lovingly rendered. <laughs> so you complete your portraits in one sitting. You've said you don't like to talk while you're um, painting, and. Not many people have the experience of sitting down with somebody in silence and just like looking into their eyes. Almost never. Nowadays, portraits of of people uh, by artists are almost invariably always based on a photograph. And uh, when uh, artists show me their uh, portraits of people, I know instantly that they're photocopies, that they've copied a photo. 
because I know everything about working from life, and I know that just uh, I I just know instantly if Sarah photocopied. I say, my instinct is to say, uh, show me the photograph you copied, because that's the real thing. But what gives it away? Uh, oh, everything, and because I did it myself in the beginning. So I know. I know they're just things that are, are dead giveaway. Well, the whole quality, even if it's a, a bad, uh, uh, inexperienced artist, I still know he's copying a photograph. So when you're sitting with somebody in person for that length of time in silence, what, what comes out of them? Something uh, so fascinating, so visually uh, almost overwhelming, that uh, I've been doing nothing else as an artist for more than 60 years. It's, it's so fascinating and challenging, too. After all this time, it hasn't gotten any easier. Oh, really? Always a challenge. And, uh, that surprises uh, me. I give it everything I've got. I don't know any other way of doing it. So that... Thing that is so fascinating, so compelling, is that, that like quote unquote thing, is that what you're trying to capture in each portrait? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm trying to capture what, uh, what people look like in life. Nothing uh, is censored from my, everything is uh, of interest, everything in, in the face, certainly. Uh, I don't make anything up. I'm just in a hurry to get everything I can see in before my center maybe faints from exhaustion. And you still paint every day? Uh, yes, I do. I'm always aiming for my absolute best. I'm aiming to do my masterpiece in every city. You are aiming for a masterpiece each time. How often do you achieve that? Uh... Is that offensive? Well, Is that offensive? Uh, uh, Sorry. <laughs> the best I can do. Okay. And of course, yes, uh, uh, I'd love to have my work considered as masterpieces. I can't call them that myself, but uh, there are certainly ones that uh, I think go deeper, better, more detailed, more uh, everything I want them to be than others. As I said, I don't know how not to do my best. Walking in, I saw in your studio, there's a large portrait of Chris. That, uh, yes. You were together for so long, but he's also been gone for quite a few years too. And I was wondering how often you think about him. And yet it seems like if he's on the wall, it's probably very often. Oh, I, I think of him every day. I don't even have to think of him. He's part of me. Uh, if I'm breathing, I'm in effect thinking about him. Because I, I identify with him as I do really with anybody. I know it all well. I'm a living replica of everybody I know. The longer I've known them, the little more accuracy in the replica. But it's just who I am. That's incredible. One of Chris's most famous books is A Single Man. And it's a, a man in the book is grieving the loss of his longtime partner. And Chris wrote that. After that happened to you and you lost your longtime partner, did you return to that book at all? 
No, because uh, I mean I, I I I know it by heart. I've uh, I've lived it. I don't have to refer to it. Uh, I'm a, a a walking version of it. I see. I didn't know if you, in seeking comfort, would have turned to it. Oh, I read him certainly. Yes, and it's uh, uh, it's such a luxury to have that man with I knew so well and slept with. We always slept together. Chris and I, always, and not just in the same bed, but usually entangled with each other, really intimate. We always believed that was how we managed the longevity of our relationship. And we often believed that we had communication all night long, that uh, our nights together were uh, pieces of our lives in the waking hours. Yes, we really uh, did run the gamut of possibilities in knowing each other. I I think that's such a nice place to leave it on. Okay. Thank you for this. You were very inspiring. And that was Don Bacardi. This was originally recorded at his dining room table in Santa Monica in January of 2019. This interview is part of our Elders Project, where we've been talking to people like the titan of trans history, the 73-year-old Jameson Green. I had to figure out how I fit. All that struggle prior to my transition was all about how do I fit into the world? Because people can't see me. Because people misinterpret me. Because people aren't conscious of my experience. Well, nobody's conscious of anybody else's experience. You can't demand that. But when you're young, I think a lot of times that is what you want. And life is a spiritual quest, but we don't always recognize every aspect of life as spiritual in our busy, busy world. Now, that was Jameson Green. He has been at the forefront of transgender health policy, and the full interview with him is available in our podcast feed right now. There's also a link to it in our show notes. We are brought to you by The Advocate Magazine in partnership with GLAAD. I'm Jeffrey Masters. I will see you next week. Bye.